0: and thanksgiving, and gratitude for all that God has given us. I bring you his word today. Amen. We have a story in our family that's iconic. What I mean when I say that is just about every time we all get together, we eventually get to telling the same stories, and this is one of them. Uh, It was about nine years ago. Our son, Caleb, third son, had major surgery on his face. Those of you that have known us a long time may remember that time. He had a very dis, dis, uh, dissymmetry in his face, and his jaw, and he, it was affecting his function and eating. And so we were able to get insurance to cover it. It's a $75,000 surgery. They cut both jaws. They broke all in five places his upper jaw. They rewired, rubber band the whole thing together, and they fixed it. It was a seven and a half hour surgery. So you can imagine as family, Caleb and parents, we were pretty concerned. And so his his then girlfriend, now wife, came over. We were sitting in the operating waiting room and for seven hours with our computers and waiting and doing our work and listening. And uh, son, fourth son, Blake's at high school, sophomore, And uh, we're doing the family text, and the nurse comes out at at about the three-hour mark and says, everything is going well. So just wanted to let you know. You know how they do that with surgery. Everything's going well, and wanted to assure you that he's fine, and he's breathing fine, and the doctor says it's just going according to plan. But she said, it's not pretty. You never want to watch a surgery like this. So being the socialite, I texted the family text. Nurse came out said that everything's going fine, still a a very intensive surgery, you never want to watch something like this. We got back from one of the boys, still in our prayers, keeping it in mind, thanks for the update. Here's what we got from Blake. That's great, dad. By the way, I made varsity. (laughs) That's the iconic quote. And uh, without words, right? We just all like thought, yeah, he's he's in his own little world. Uh, his, his brother's face has just been hit by a Mack truck, but I, I made varsity today. And we don't let him forget it. And I got permission to share the story today. It's actually, the reason I shared it though was not to humiliate or humble Blake. It's actually to, sh- to show you something about that. When, when we have something that personally gives us great joy the circumstances that we are in are made less relevant to our happiness, right? Now, he's got something very, in this story, very relevant to his happiness, but his brother's thing, like what would happen to parents, would like drag you down, right? But it wasn't going to drag him down because he made varsity. Um, It's like a bubble, and that's why I picked this picture off the internet of this little girl in a bubble. She can't swim. She's not afraid because she's running around in some bubble somebody invented where you can walk on water. And look at she's got a big smile on her face. She's in the joy bubble in my illustration. So was Blake. He was in the joy bubble. The joy bubble is a joy that you have that you carry through all circumstances. And the joys of a circumstance other than the joy bubble or the disappointments, neither one can affect this joy. It's a joy that you have in your bubble. That's what I wanted you to think about. Having a, your own personal joy at Thanksgiving from God, not from varsity, that becomes your bubble, and you, you, you live in it, and you are thankful because of it no matter what. That's what God calls us to and gives us, not just calls us to do it, but to gives it to us. And that's what the Apostle Paul was banking on in Colossians chapter 3. So just real quickly, Colossians is a letter Paul wrote to a church he had not started. But they were, someone had started a church over in Colossae in Asia Minor. And Paul wanted to encourage them because he had heard that the the joy of being Christians was starting to be taken away by people who were mystical religionists coming in and trying to teach the church that they needed to get into a mysterious, mystical religion that had pagan influences rather than just believing the beautiful message of Jesus Christ. And he says things in in the letter like, If you have Christ, you have the fullness of the Godhead in bodily form. You have fullness in him. Don't let anyone steal your joy by worldly rules, aesthetic things like don't eat this or don't don't touch that or you have to have certain holidays or else you're not really close to God or you need to have a mystical experience with him. He said, don't let anybody take away your joy of simple childlike faith in the beautiful joys of the gospel. And he gets to chapter 3, and just like all of his letters, he gets in a more practical, rapid fire, telling you how this affects your daily life. And in chapter 3, verse 16 and 17, are these two verses that have ideas about gratitude. The gospel, when it's believed and understood, and here's a key in the verse, when it's a rich part of our lives, makes you have true thanksgiving true joy it's a bubble it's a joy bubble the gospel is and so what i want to do is show you what he's saying and then and then uh, show you how he applies it to our lives for our our thanksgiving Um, you may have recognized these verses are part of a section that people often have at weddings like chapter 3 verse 12 through 17 I pulled out verses 16 and 17 for thanksgiving. So I'll read verse 16 and 17 to you. We'll get into it. Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. Did you see that gratitude shows up twice, once in each verse? At the end of verse 16, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. And then lastly, whatever you do in your deeds, doing it, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. In the first verse, I want to I show you what Paul is saying is how a person truly has the bubble, the joy bubble from the gospel As a part of their life. He said let the word and the message of Christ. Dwell with you. Richly among you. Now he's talking to a group. He's writing a group. We're going to apply it individually though. At first. Lots of times. The reason we think. We don't have a feeling. That's authentically thankful. And with gratitude. Is that we've been dumped on. God, people, life, America, church, kids, spouse, work, they dumped on us. And I have every reason to be unhappy because it's logical, right? But what is he saying? He's saying, answer that phone, Peggy. No, I'm just teasing you. <laughs> no, it's okay he's saying what he's saying is you have a a joy that's been given to you that you can promulgate you can you can you can continually make it grow bigger in your heart and in your life let it dwell in you richly now the word for dwell is a, is a word uh, that that stands by itself often if a Greek writer wants to Um, emphasize it more they'll tack on a preposition to the front and that's what Paul does here so it's kind of like this He he says let the message of Christ find a home in your heart as the chief thing living there give it a prominent place in your heart the message of Christ instead of a small place like a little back room closet And so this is something that he wants us to live in when we get up in the morning. When we approach the season of Thanksgiving. When we go to bed at night. When we're out in the workplace. When we're driving down the road. He wants us to let the the message of Christ dwell in us richly. When he applies it to the group, he says, do this for each other by speaking the message of Christ in admonishments or encouragements to one another. The word for admonishment doesn't mean always just telling somebody they got to correct themselves. It's actually a word that means call yourself alongside of them and say what they need to hear, which often is much more encouraging than admonishing, right? So you encourage each other with the gospel promises as you do life together and do it with music, he says. And, and and our our hymnal that's right now is no, not in the the the, um, the pews just like the hymnal before it in the front of the hymnal this verse 16 appears uh, that we use the hymns and the songs of the hymnal to encourage each other in our faith in the gospel so that richly we worship in fact even the music today as a Christian sitting there you're probably thankful that we had people record it you're sort of Sad that we've got the whole COVID thing and that we can't just like freely sing along. But you looking at the words and you get some encouragement. It's that whole thing that Paul's talking about that while we're together worshiping, we are doing what we can to make the message of Christ have a prominent home in your heart. And music is really the language of the emotions, isn't it? And so it's a a wonderful thing if if uh, Angela's going to get excited and show it, it's usually at the tail end of a Christian song that moved her with the message as it moved it into her soul. That's an example. Where you're feeling it, you may not always display it. But that, that's what God wants for us between Sundays, between services. So what does that look like? Well, today with technology, it might look like using the the internet on your phone through either something like YouTube or something like Pandora or Spotify these are all programs platforms out there where you can select songs and on YouTube you can find our Martin Luther College our seminary if that's your style or you can find a contemporary christian song but you can You can use that music to help encourage yourself and other people. And all of these programs have a little icon that says, share. Now, take that idea that you can take it, touch that, and put it in a text or an email. And think of the verse that says, You're supposed to be doing this with one another, and suddenly you have an idea on what to do with the ancient injunction from God's Word in Colossians 3 and apply it directly to today. You can even display it on your Facebook and say, here's a song that meant a lot to me, hoping somebody would touch on that, because that's the place that you share it. Now, I know it's probably not news to most of you, but this is our senior service. So I am making sure that you know about it. It's not as hard as it seems or feels. And it is a way that you can encourage people with God's word to music. The way Paul says uh, in these COVID times between Sundays and do it for yourself as well. Now, let me talk about the flip side. Have you heard the statement? I bet you have. If you've heard it, try to finish it with me. Misery loves company. Right. So why do you as a sinner gravitate towards some of the miserable secular songs? Um, well, Our dear brother that's in heaven and perfect now, Gary Martin, he told me, he said, I was driving back from way out in West Texas, you know, the long, lonely highways from West Texas back to the middle. And he said, all I could get were these little country stations. And he said, after I listened to all those songs and all those stations, he goes, I wanted to just slit my throat. They're so sad. Everything's lost. You know, it's just full of darkness. Um, it, maybe one of the reasons that you're not in the joy bubble is that when you gravitate toward music, you gravitate toward secular music too much. And not enough the music of, the, the redeemed, the redemptive music of, that has gospel promises in it. Let me also, while I'm at it, help you with hallmark movies. Wonderful sweet movies at Christmas time, right? They're already starting to play in my home. Almost always the main point is Christless. Almost always. While it's not crass, open, rated R stuff, don't think it's always Filling you up richly with the message of Christ. It's still sort of got a veneer of the secular godlessness of the world. And just be careful is what I'm telling you. Not to think that you're filling yourself with the Christmas spirit. Because the Christmas spirit is the baby in the manger. And by the way, while we're talking about that, what is the message of Christ? You are rescued you did it to yourself you are a sinner the older you get you add more sins you don't necessarily get holy you're growing in sanctification maybe maybe you're wiser but you're still a sinner and you're still tacking on another sin every few minutes every day to your great track record before God and his great message is I still love you I died for all of those sins You are forgiven and I wash you clean and so live in the peace of the grace but the honesty about who you are and live in that peace and that grace knowing that you're going to live forever as you come to the end of your life. You're going to live forever because of Jesus and you know the story died and rose again. Your body's going to rise again just like his. That's the message of Christ. Your soul goes to heaven. There's people you know and love that are already there. You really are going to see them. I remember, and you will remember this too, because we've reminded you, Buck Krauser called me six months before he passed, and he said, I went to the doctor today, and he said, I got great news. He told me I have congestive heart failure, and I'm going to be gone in six months. He died like Christmas Eve uh, that year. He saw it as good news because of the richness of the Christ message. But what was he doing? Church on Sunday, men's Bible breakfast on Wednesday, reading his Bible every day. The message of Christ lived richly in his life. And that's how he could say that. Not because his life on earth was uh, rosy. It wasn't. His wife preceded him to heaven. He never thought that would happen. And he was lonely for her. But see what we're saying? It's letting it dwell richly. It's how you live in the bubble. That's what Paul is saying. Mary and Martha, a great example, living the same life, but not necessarily living the same life, right? Mary's at peace at the feet of Jesus. Martha's frantic, troubled about many things, good, even good things. And she needed to learn the good part is to sit at Jesus' feet and let him dwell in you richly. So here's the deal. If you're having trouble being truly thankful, if it's just an outward kind of thing for you, you sit your body in a chair and you get your bible out and your phone and your music christian music and you devote you get into the word you sh- you get into it richly until you sense the joy of the word of god filling your soul crowding out and telling there's not room in those bedrooms of your heart for all those ugly thoughts they get ushered to the door and say we'd rather have these relatives here So that's what Paul says. And he says, now this is what it looks like if a person is truly has gratitude. That's verse 17. Whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Doing it in the name of the Lord Jesus means doing it as Jesus would have you do it from a joyful heart. So what does that look like? It means that when somebody gets a dig in. That you're, you don't follow the first response that you have. And that is to get a dig in back. To get even. Because in the name of Jesus. You're going to change the situation. By being thankful and full of gratitude. And so you say a prayer. Lord thank you for that person. And how they keep me humble. And mean it. Right? Not just say it. But mean it. Okay? It has to do with. The way that you serve, that, that not, if someone asks you to do something and you probably can make it happen, that you don't suddenly get put out and say, why can't she just do it herself? But you say, thank you for the opportunity to serve you. And you've, you're thankful, truly thankful for the opportunity to serve. It, it, it means many things, doesn't it? But there's a, there's a tone of gratitude that you're just happy To be alive in Christ, alive on this earth, and alive in faith that you're a rescued, redeemed child of God. One of our pastors in the area, if you call him up, and I I do think it's kind of neurotic, but I like it. If you call him up and say, how are you doing? This is what he says, better than I deserve. It it reminds him and me and whoever else he tells that to that we have reason to have gratitude, right? Because we're doing better than we deserve. This theme of gratitude that's here in Colossians actually rears its beautiful head in almost all of Paul's letters. It was a theme of his life. And you, you I'm looking at seasoned Christians, so you know about Paul and what, how, his, how hard his life was as a missionary, right? And how he got persecuted and illness and thorn in the flesh and stonings and shipwreck and threats on his life and, and, and lived under the threat until it took him to heaven and, and it was all hard. But he had Jesus, and he had a mission and a purpose, and he had salvation and forgiveness. So, he's always talking about gratitude. He's leading us at Thanksgiving like he led all the people he wrote to. Romans 1, people, he says, people that, that, you know, Romans 1 is known for talking about the sin of homosexuality and the sin of materialism. And he goes, and all these people would not acknowledge God as God. And then he throws it out there. Nor were they thankful. He's talking about pagans. They weren't thankful for the gift of life. Right? Uh, in, in Philippians, when he says to pray instead of be anxious, he says, go to God. Instead of being anxious, make everything a prayer request to God. Chapter 4. And he says, and, but do it with thanksgiving in your heart that he's listening. And he's going to take care of it. See, thanksgiving. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, he's rattling off all these ways that his words apply to the Christian life. And he goes, be, be joyful in prayer. And he goes, and be thankful in all circumstances. You see, the Apostle Paul is teaching us to lead our hearts, not follow them. And that's what I want you to think about it when you think about the joy bubble. hey, I am the king of chronic complaining. I understand this and, and know this. It's tough. But I want you to take the challenge as a Christian, especially in these, these golden years where the rest of us are looking up to you to, to see wisdom and thanksgiving, that you are showing a thankful, grateful heart that's Christ-centered, not based on your circumstances. So you lead your heart. Go to the next slide. You lead your heart. Don't follow it. That's what Paul is saying. And when somebody does this in a tough situation, it boing sticks out and is very memorable. And isn't that one of the things that you want in your golden years where you're not in the workforce like you used to be, and you're not out there that that everybody in the family is trying to ask you just how to raise little kids, don't you still want someone to notice that you have something to offer? One of the things you can offer is a model of gratitude in all circumstances that will, doing stick out so everybody can see it. I'll give you my example. When I was in college... There was a, 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 a guy, I was a freshman. There was a guy who was a senior. I was rushed to be in the agricultural fraternity at East Texas State University. I pledged and then de But I was still involved with the community of the, of the guys in the fraternity. There was a guy in there that was a very, he was a senior, a very active Christian. And he had Bible study once a week with other guys he invited, trying to disciple them as Christians. And he had a young guy that was like a, a sophomore year ahead of me, This senior had him in his Bible study. They love the outdoors. This is up in East Texas, not far from where Peggy grew up, sowed all her wild oats. And the Sulphur River, you know where that river is, Peggy? The Sulphur River, there was a big rain, and so it filled up. It's like a creek, but it filled up and was flowing fast. So they decided, a bunch of college guys, get on all their camo, put a couple pistols in their pocket because they would stop somewhere along the way and shoot at the banks and they would, go, they would go canoeing on the flooded Self River. And at a normal time, it was like a trickle. You couldn't put a boat in it, right? So they put in on one road that was up north of town, and they said to their friends, 20 miles away, pick us up here. You know, there was way before cell phones. Said, come here at a certain time. Well, about halfway, there was a train trestle that had got all this debris, so it made a huge rapid. They went over that. They had no life jackets. They had heavy clothes. Metal guns in their pockets. The canoe went over that. It capsized. Now three guys are floating down the river and they're, they're struggling because it's, it's a heavy, uh, you know, heavy rapids and they're, they're, they're wet and they got boots on and everything. So two of them made it, the senior and another guy. But, but one of the, the sophomore that I just mentioned a minute ago, big guy, 6'4", uh, athletic, he drowned. The news spread pretty fast. And so as college kids, we're all kind of showing up at the fraternity house outside. It's kind of on the edge of town. It's kind of a farmhouse. And uh, we're all shaken, right? And uh, I got out of the truck and ran over to this friend that's the senior. And I said, you must be just overwhelmed. And he goes, I am. But I keep, he said, I keep focusing on that passage. Give thanks in all circumstances. And the other guy that wasn't even a, a believer that survived... He said, when I found him on the banks, we went to the side and I led him in prayer. And we said, God, we're scared for Jim. We think we lost him, but we're, we're giving thanks to you. that You're our God. You're our Savior. You're his Savior. And that this experience is something that you're watching over us. I'll never forget that. I don't want you to forget it. It's doing sticks out there, right? Well, God wants people around you and me to never forget our gratitude either because our gratitude is in the name of Christ Jesus and what it does is it says to people Jesus and his promises are real indeed when we find joy in the bubble of Christ then people say it's real I see it in the way it gives that person joy That's a way to have thanksgiving, isn't it? Amen.